Now, uh, let's continue our study of the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11. I was with you a couple of weeks ago and told you what a great chapter this is, and indeed it is. But let me read you now the first three verses of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this this word, this endures forever. Guys, I, um, I introduced Hebrews 11 to you a couple of weeks ago, and I told you then, two quick things, that Hebrews 11 is pretty much a commentary on verse 38 of chapter 10. My just ones shall live by faith. Chapter 11 is a commentary on that statement. It's basically an Old Testament survey which we'll really get into next week as we look at some of of his examples. But guys, before he gets to those examples, before he gets to the illustrations of faith, he starts out by giving us a working definition of faith. Um, The faith that uh, enables people to persevere to the end, what is that? What does it look like? How am I to understand it? Well, that's what he gives us in verse 1. A definition of faith. Now, guys, before I I take you to look at his definition of faith, I want to make one observation, which I think is is an important thing. It's an important principle, I think. Just bear with me. The author of the book of Hebrews gives us a definition of faith in one sentence, basically 14 words. He then goes on to give us examples of faith, which occupy 37 verses, roughly 550 words. He doesn't tell us um, the origin of faith. It's a gift in Ephesians 2. He doesn't tell us how faith grows. Uh, which you find in in Romans chapter 10. He is content at this point simply to give us a working definition of faith in one succinct, very helpful sentence. After he's done that, he gives us 37 verses of examples. (laughs) Because, ladies and gentlemen, Definitions are crucial, yes. Right definitions are crucial. But sometimes, the best way to understand something is to see an example of it. <laughs> I, I um, was reminded of a, um, of a statement that I read years ago from an old Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, Richard Baxter said this, what my people need from me most is my sanctification. Now, now what did he mean by that? Um, Well, certainly he meant that 
um, people need to see that I believe what I preach. But he also meant this. My people need to see that what I preach works. When Susie and I uh, first moved to um, Memphis in 1985, I was hired here at Central Church to be the director of a singles ministry, which I loved. Six years, it was just wonderful fun. But I was working with um, a particular segment of the culture, which is, um, which is different. I was married. I had three small girls. And we took those girls with us to everything that we did with singles. Um, we took them, they came to the class. They went to events. They went to parties. They went to retreats with us. And I came to believe this over time. That my greatest contribution to that world of singles was not my great teaching, although my teaching was great. (laughs) I came to believe that my greatest contribution to a world of singles in which there was so much brokenness in relationship and so much divorce was simply to show them that I loved my family. It, 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 was, it was like they looked at me and they say, well, if that bozo can do it, <laughs> then maybe I can do it too. You know? Maybe there's hope for me if he can do it. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, what my people need most from me is my sanctification. They need to see that I believe what I preach. And they need to see that what I preach works. Gang, what you're going to get after this definition that we're going to look at this morning, what you're going to get after this is 37 verses of examples. 37, well, not even more than 30 illustrations of, of faith on display. It's, it's basically God's modeling. It's modeling the principle, the, the power of modeling and, and, I, and I want you to see this. You can't miss this, guys. In every example that he gives us in the rest of the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, every one of those examples, in not one case is any of those people, are any of those people perfect. And yet, there was still a benefit to seeing people who are who are striving to walk by faith. Guys, don't ever underestimate the power of modeling. You, um, you want to help young couples navigate the, the enormous challenges of, of a marriage? Then just, just live out a faithful enjoyable marriage in front of them. You want to show the, uh, the error of homosexuality? Then just put on display the beauty of redeemed sexuality. Don't ever underestimate. He doesn't, apparently. 
He gives us 14 words to define faith and then gives us 550 words to illustrate it. I, I thought that was really interesting. Now, we come back to the, um, to the definition of faith, which he, which he gives us in verse, verse 1. But guys, i got to tell you that um, this is what, what, he's, what he's defining is the faith that perseveres. You know, in 1038, he said, the just ones live by faith. And then he's going to give you a definition here in verse 1 of the faith that he has in mind. And guys, you've got you to understand, this is important stuff. Um, it's, it's important not because I say it's important. It, it's important because it's about the thing that joins us to Christ in the first place. It's about the thing that enables us to persevere to the end. And we've got to persevere to the end. You remember that? So this is important. And I'm going to do my best to make it as clear and as simple as I can. He gives you a definition in 14 words. I'm going to reduce it to 10. Here's the definition. The faith that joins us to Christ and enables us to to endure. Here it is. It's the assurance of things hoped for. And it's the, convictions of, it's the conviction of things unseen. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's conviction of things not seen. That's it. Ten words. Let's kind of break it in both parts. First of all, the assurance of things hoped for. You know, guys, we all have hoped for things, don't we? Don't you hope for something? Let's say you're, you're hoping for a, uh, uh, a job promotion, you know, at work. You know, you're going to get promoted this year. Well, the question now becomes, on what do you base that hope? I mean, did the boss stop by your office and say, uh, now, son, you've done such a good job, we're going to promote you before, the, before this year's over? Well, at that point, you've got a decision to make. I mean, do I believe what he said? I mean, uh, I mean, is the man's word uh, reliable? Does he know what he's talking about? I mean, does, does, he, does he have enough uh, oomph to, 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 to make it happen? Or is he some nobody, he's on his way out, he's got no clout around here? Because you see, um, the way that you react to what he said to you when he stopped by your office, you either insult him, by, ah, he knows now. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, you got no clout. I don't believe anything a guy says. Or you honor him by saying, oh, my gosh, if he said it, then it must be something that's going to happen. Guys, as a Christian, we've got several things that we hope for. Forgiveness of sin. Um, life after death. A place where there's no more tears. Somebody promised us those things. Now, you can insult him. You can insult him by saying, well, I mean, he, I mean, he can't pull anything off. I mean, what is he? You know, he's got no clout. Or you can honor him. By, by concluding that 
gosh, if he promised it, it's going to happen. You see, you have some assurance in the things hoped for. Guys, one of the greatest indictments of Israel's sin, and and you see this a lot in the major prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you see it a lot in there. You see statements like this, the statement uh, uh, that goes something like this. I mean, it's in various versions, but it would be something like, um, um, I, the Lord God, have spoken, but my people didn't listen. They didn't hear me. I spoke, but it changed nothing. You see, gang, um, the faith that is being defined here is an assurance of things hoped for. There's lots of them. Forgiveness of sin, life, all that. God has made a statement about those things. So you've got to figure out a lot of people in this room have already figured it out. Do I believe those things? Is the one who made me those promises, is he worth trusting? That, folks, is, is an assurance of things hoped for. The other part is a, a conviction of things not seen. Um... It's not a, a conviction in spite of the evidence. It's a, it's a conviction because of the evidence. It's a, it's a settled conviction, not a, not a religious feeling, not a positive mental attitude, not some kind of holy hunch, but a conviction about some things that have not, I've not yet seen. You know, the world in which we live tell us that seeing is believing. Well, not the faith that's being defined here. Well, um, then how how does that operate, Jimmy? Let me me show you what I think is a good illustration. It's in chapter 10, and and I think it illustrates this conviction of things not seen. It's just one verse. Verse 34 of chapter 10 Um, the author says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, you know, I know a lot of you folks and a lot of you folks have a lot of property. I mean, you got lots of property. You haven't got one house. You got two houses. You ain't got one car. You got four cars. You got lots of property. These people joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Could you do that? Well, notice it says how they pulled it off. You, um, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since or because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I, I, I faced what I faced. I endured what I endured. I struggled with the news that I got I got through the hard time in my life because I was looking for another possession that I hadn't seen yet. A possession, an abiding possession. I hadn't seen it. 
but I believe it's there. You know, that, that, that theme is found often in Hebrews 11. Like in verse 10, Abraham left his hometown, you know, and he went out to a place that he didn't know about. And, and, and it's in verse 10, I think. Um, yes, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Oh, I hadn't seen the city yet. I just know this. The city that I'm now in doesn't have any foundations, and I'm looking for the one that does. <laughs> because, <laughs> pardon me, <clears throat> there is a conviction That some things that I have not yet seen, they exist. Just because I haven't seen them doesn't mean they don't. Gang, the definition of faith is the combination of those two things. An assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. That's the faith that joins us to Christ and enables us to endure. Now, let me, let me point out a couple of things that are, just to fill in the blanks, just to kind of add some, some body to the definition, I hope. First of all, let me start with a caution. Gang, the faith that is being defined here is not a question of one sincerity with which you believe something. How often have you heard it? Oh, they're so sincere. Gang, the sincerity with which you believe in something that is not true just makes your situation all the more tragic. Because you're not only wrong, but you're surprised to find that you are wrong. I mean, after all, I was so sincere. In fact, you know, I've got this wonderful feeling everything's going my way. Well, gang, um, this faith may include from time to time a feeling, but it is not a feeling. It's a... um, it's an, it's an habitual reliance upon the things a person has said. And you've got to find the right person. That's the first thing. This has nothing to do with your sincerity. The second thing that I want to mention is that this faith that's being described here is something that regulates my life. Um, It's not that I have a pipe dream, but it's by this faith in this unseen God that shapes everything that I do. Because, ladies and gentlemen, sooner or later, You're going to act out what you believe. Sooner or later, what you hold to be your convictions, they're going to show up all the way out so all of us can see. Let me show you an example. What I I hope is a, a, a decent example. Guys, let's just say 
that I am a committed um, hedonist. You know what uh, hedonism is? Hedonism is this, um, um, it's, a, it's a commitment to pleasure. And the mantra of hedonism is on the screen. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. And I'm a convinced, convicted, uh, serious, sincere hedonist. Now watch, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I believe. My belief system tells me that my final end is going to be in a grave where the worms are going to feed on my flesh. And that's, that's what I believe. And because I believe this, this is how I live. I eat, drink, and be merry because I believe that tomorrow I die. My belief system is such that um, it affects the choices that I make in what I, how I live. Because, ladies and gentlemen, sooner or later, what you believe is going to show up in, which, in, in how you act. The faith that is being discussed here, guys, it's a faith that regulates my behavior. It's a faith that is... That is in a God who has issued some instructions. And so ultimately, if I have this faith, my will is going to be moved in a direction that is in conformity with that God in whom I have faith. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Sooner or later, what we believe is going to show up in the way we behave. It's going to be visible for everybody to see. So, what you have to decide now is, who describes reality for you best? Is it God's Word or is it Wall Street? Is it, is it God's word or is it, is it Hollywood? Is, is it God's word or is, is it the media that describes reality best? I remember years ago I was watching a, an interview on ESPN. Now I know that most of you don't watch ESPN. You're, you're far too religious. But I being the um, um, backslidden that I am, I watch ESPN, and I remember on ESPN there was this interview that was being held or, uh, between two of the NFL's greatest linebackers, Mike Singletary and Lawrence Taylor. Now, if you don't know those two names, first of all, either you're young or you're not a student of the game because they're both Hall of Famers. They're both um, widely known in the NFL as if not the best, certainly to maybe Dick Buckus, but these two, Mike Singletary and Lawrence Taylor, two of the NFL's best. Well, the interviewer was asking questions of both of them, and Mike Singletary, if you don't know it, uh, was and is a committed believer. 
uh, Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> he is not. Um, and so the interviewer would ask questions, and Mike Singletary would respond, and he would respond with, with truths that are that he found in the scriptures and absolutes that he built his life on. And then he would turn to Lawrence Taylor, who was all blinged up, and, and he would ask him a question, and Lawrence Taylor, I'm, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it was gobbledygook. It was, um, it was, you couldn't make any sense out of what he was saying. It was like he was high on something. And he was, he was talking trash about power and life and future and strength and all this. And, and, and as I watched, I thought, there it is. Side by side, for everyone to see the two value systems that exist for from which we might make a choice. And so who is it that's telling me the truth? Was it LT? Or was it Mike Singletary? Have you decided yet? A lot of us have. Um, when, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to... Um, um, Death, who do you believe? Gang, the, the faith that is being described here is a settled confidence that something in the future, something promised that has not yet been seen, but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because this unseen God will see to it that none of his promises go unfulfilled. It's not a leap into the dark, but it's a confident trust in an eternal God who is all-powerful and infinitely wise and eternally trustworthy. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if in your mind that God does not exist, then don't kid yourself. You don't have anything like this. This faith is the stuff that bonds the soul to the things that God has promised us. This faith is fixed on things future, things hoped for, and things unseen. All of those things given to us, outlined for us, promised to us in this book. Folks, this God has revealed himself marvelously in creation. He, he's revealed himself in this book. 
But he has revealed himself most emphatically in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who also made his promises and have kept his promises from generation to generation. Now, let me say one other thing and I'll, and I'll quit. Guys, this is the thing that makes us the laughing stock of the culture. The culture thinks that we've all committed intellectual suicide anyway. And unfortunately, we give them reason to believe that because the, the Christian church uses this whole idea of faith as an excuse to not think, to be intellectually lazy, indolent, sloppy. Thomas Edison once said, there is no expedient to which a man will not go to avoid the real labor of thinking. And so we come to something that is, that is fairly complex in the Scriptures, and we say, well, you know, I just don't understand that one, and therefore I'll just have to take it on faith. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there are indeed things in Christianity that, that stretch our ability to comprehend. Yes, there are. Things like, like the Trinity. But my brother and sister in Christ, Hebrews 1, verse 1, Hebrews 11, verse 1, does not give us permission to, to be dullards. It is asking us to believe in unseen verities. Yes. It's asking us to believe in a God who has a kingdom, a God who, and in that kingdom there is a law, and that truth of a God with a kingdom that has values and laws runs completely contrary to the other kingdom that is seen. The seen one, ladies and gentlemen, has a set of values and a set of laws too. You know, I, I, I don't live like Lawrence Taylor. Because I believe in another kingdom over which there is a God who has issued instructions a God who rules and describes a value system that he himself authored. And so that world of wine, women, and song, which describes the masses, that seen kingdom, um, that's not my world. I chase after a whole other set of values that are unseen. And that's what the Bible calls faith. Do you have that? Now, before you answer that, let me 
I'll tell you two quick things. First of all, everybody believes in something. Just because you don't believe in this God doesn't believe you believe it doesn't mean you believe in nothing. Oh, you believe in something, all right. And the other thing I wanted to say is, can you understand now why the world is so desperate to disprove this book? Because you see, if they can disprove this book, then they can architect a value system any old way they choose. And that's exactly what's going on. Where good is called bad and bad is called good. And the abnormal is called normal and the normal is called abnormal. Gang, look at verse 2. For by it, of course, the it is faith. For by this faith, defined in verse 1, by it, the people of old received their commendation. People who had this received their commendation. If you've got this, you will too. You will receive a commendation. But if you don't have that, you will receive a condemnation. Assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of things not seen. Our Father, I I do pray that you will um, use your word to clarify for your people that which this word faith means. And that we can find in in the base of our souls this very thing arising and growing and developing greater assurance, greater conviction in, in things hoped for and things unseen. And that as we believe it, we find that our, our whole lives get regulated by it and that the things that we believe show up in our behavior, all affecting every part of us, including our wills. But Lord, if you've um, brought people here this morning who have not yet met this God who's revealed himself in Christ Jesus, would you cause them to see that the thing that is missing is this faith that bonds the soul to the thrice holy God? Or would you do that not because um, we deserve it, but because we so desperately need a relationship with the God who made us? We ask it all, of course. In Jesus' name.